We are in the book of Hebrews. Uh, we have made it up to chapter 4. And so today we're going to be starting in verse 15, and we're going to be reading to chapter 5, verse 10. Uh, the title of today's message is A Compassionate Helper, Greater Than Aaron. We're in the series called Jesus is Greater, just learning and seeing how Jesus is greater in all these different facets and ways. And it's just been a beautiful way, uh, a thing to just preach on Jesus and how he is greater than all the different things in this life and in this world. But if you were not here last week, let me give you a recap. Uh, some of us may have walked away from last week feeling like, man, this is hard. And that's good. You should have walked away last week feeling that way. Um, we talked about not walking away from your confession, right? And how we as Christ followers need to do everything possible to hold fast, to hold firm to the confession of Jesus Christ and what he has done in our life. And the preacher last week, the writer of Hebrews, used this illustration of the people of Israel going into the promised land and how they were about to walk in but they didn't have faith in what God had told them, and so they could not enter into the rest of God. But yet still, after God pronounced judgment on them, they decided to try to take their salvation into their own hands. And what happened? They found out that God's word is greater than any double-edged sword, piercing through everything, discerning the hearts, uh, and, and able to divide through bone and marrow that they, the sword was not greater than God's Word And so every salvation that we try to take on our own, disobediently from what God has told us to do, God breaks it, and his judgment is the final word. And so we ended with this idea that we must do whatever it takes to hold firm to our confession of faith to enter into the promised rest of God and how that rest is greater than anything we can imagine. But if you have thought, man, sometimes it is just hard, right? Anybody with me on that? Sometimes it's just hard. In the midst of doubt, suffering, storms, pain, sin, you may have been asking yourself or walking away, how do I hold fast? I've been there, done that, tried it. Thanks for the encouragement again, but it is a hard road. Well, if that has ever been something that you have experienced, or maybe even experienced last week after the word, then this week's message is for you because the preacher of Hebrews anticipates that, yes, God's judgment is great. Yes, we have to do everything that we can to hold fast, and yes, it will be really hard. But listen to this in chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. You can read along with me on the screen. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What I want you to walk away with today is this sense, this understanding that you have an active, compassionate helper in Jesus. 
that he doesn't just dangle the, the promise of rest in front of us, the promise of eternity and no more sorrow and no more pain and, and ultimate healing and wholeness. He doesn't dangle that in front of us and say, good luck trying to get it. What he does is he says, yes, do everything you can. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, my word is final. But when it gets tough, I understand. Come to me for help. Come to me for help. And so this, this understanding of, of how that works, in, in verse 15 we see that Jesus is described as a high priest. And what happens is the preacher then explains the role of the high priest because to truly understand how Jesus can be your help in a time of need, you have to understand the role of the high priest. And so much of chapter five is dedicated to understanding what is this role of the high, high priest. And so we're gonna read through chapter five, but then go back to chapter four to truly flesh out what is happening here. So the preacher describes the role of the high priest Starting in verse 1, we're going to read. He says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So what the preacher is doing here is he is rehashing or explaining the role of the high priest for everybody to understand. And he says essentially three things that the high priest did that we need to understand as his role to understand what Jesus does. The first thing about the high priest that we need to understand is that he was human and from the people. So he went to God when he was going to God on behalf of the people. He went to God knowing full well the weaknesses of the people, the hardship of the people, what the people have gone through over the last year. He is from among them. He understands their needs. He understands what they're going through. And he is one of them himself. He is human with them. The second thing that we see that the high priest is described as is a sinner. The high priest was a sinner just as much as the people of Israel were sinners that he was going to atone for. See, the rituals described here in the text was the rituals of the Day of Atonement. Now, the Day of Atonement, we read about in Leviticus chapter 16, was the one day of the year the high priest would go to the Holy of Holies, would walk into the presence of God, and the high priest would atone for the sins of himself, for the sins of his family, and for the sins of the people of Israel. And once a year, this atonement that would happen in the Holy of Holies would account for a cleansing of Israel for their sin for the past year. Now, walking into the Holy of Holies was truly a a dangerous experience. If the high priest did not perform the correct rituals then the high priest would be struck dead when he would walk into the Holy of Holies. They actually would tie a rope around the ankle of the high priest and a bell. 
And the high priest was supposed to walk around in the Holy of Holies so that the people outside would know that he was still alive. They would hear the bell ringing. And if the bell stopped ringing, that meant that, the, the, that he didn't perform his job right and that he died. And so what they would do is they would pull him out with the rope because he was now dead in the presence of God. But the three things, and the, the third thing that they want, the preacher wants you to understand here is that he was appointed to this position by God. This wasn't something where, you know, kind of like our elections where somebody stands up and says, well, I think I would be a great president. They weren't saying, I think I would be a great high priest and, you know, going and campaigning around. This is why you should vote for me to be a high priest. This is why, uh, you know, and if you wonder why it didn't happen like this, well, look at all the crazy candidates that we get. That's why it didn't happen like this. And so what would happen is God would appoint the high priest. This wasn't somebody saying, well, I want this job. This was a job that God was given to the person. And so Aaron is used as the example of the first one, the first high priest who was appointed to this position by God. So the preacher then takes, you know what the high priest does. He then takes this high priest and juxtaposes it with Christ. And we read in verse 5 to 10. It says, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being de designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So just like the three things that we saw that the human high priest was, we see that Jesus were all those attributes and more. Christ was humble he was appointed by God like all the high priests, and he did not take the position himself. The scripture is referenced in the Psalms, you are my son, today I have begotten you. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This was a title bestowed on him by God the Father. He was human. If you were here when we talked uh, through Hebrews chapter 2, when we talked about the incarnation of God and how Jesus was greater than Adam, then we, if you remember, this is a cool Easter egg, the first time that the name of Jesus is used, before then we see the name Lord used for him, the first time Jesus is used is, is to talk specifically about the incarnation of God, because Jesus was the human name given to him. And so, when referring to the incarnation here again, the preacher says, Jesus, in the days of his flesh, speaking about the incarnation, saying that he was among the people, he was part of the people. He knows the trials, the tests, and the weaknesses of us. He comes from among us. The only difference between Jesus as high priest and Aaron and the subsequent high priest after him is this that Jesus was perfect. He was greater than Aaron and every other high priest because he obeyed to the end, staying sinless. So in this high priest, Jesus goes before the Father 
It is not a once a year thing because it was not an imperfect thing. It is an eternal thing done once and for all. He atones for the sins of all people at all times. Never again is another high priest needed because the perfect high priest has come. So knowing who he is as high priest, we then get a better picture of what the preacher is talking about in verse 15 and 16. It comes more alive as we read it. And we're going to read it again. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Our great high priest who knows us was appointed and was perfect. First attribute that's given here is that he can sympathize with our weaknesses. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. Now, when the preacher talks about being able to sympathize with our weaknesses, I think what we really think about here is a psychological sympathy, uh, sympathy kind of saying like, ay, ben, bendito. <laughs> Poor guy. This cute, I understand. That's not what this is talking about. This is, this is not God in heaven looking down at us and saying, Man, that seems rough. I feel your pain, bro. I feel you. That's not what God is doing, but sympathizing with our weakness here is more of an experiential sympathy that Jesus does with us as our high priest. That when you are hurting, he feels the pain with you. So when you are crying at night because of the sadness of rejection, he is there with you in your pain. He is feeling that rejection with you. He is sensing that pain with you. When someone treats you like dirt, gossips about you, and you walk into the humiliating situation of finding out about that, and you feel alone now because the people that you trusted and were close to you have hurt you, Jesus is there with you among the pain. This church that was about to go do, through deep suffering that the preacher was writing to, that they were about to walk into martyrdom, he is saying that Jesus is there to take the lash with you. He is there to experience the pain with you. That he is not up in heaven on his high horse saying, man, that stinks. Been there, done that, know about it. Not going through that again. But he is there with us to experience with us, to walk alongside us, to be beside us as we go through the pains and the agonies of life. That is the great high priest. He understands the pain, the agony, the hardship, the storms of the world that we live in and experiences them with us. This sympathy is not a faraway sympathy, but a close to us sympathy, an Emmanuel-type sympathy, a God-with-us sympathy. Now, we are to take comfort that our high priest is here with us in our pain. 
So that when we are saying, man, I, I have to hold on no matter what, that this confession is everything, that I can't walk away from it, and everything in the world is coming against us, that we are not alone, that our high priest is with us, that he is, he is walking with us through that pain. He is walking with us through the, 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 the hardship. He is walking with us through that storm. He is saying, I am with you to the ends of the earth. I am with you. That is the type of savior that we serve, that he doesn't become distant, but he says, actually, let me hold your hand. Let's walk through this together. You are not gonna go through this alone. This is, this is not gonna be a you on earth thing and me in heaven thing and me just separating. This is a me walking with you type of thing. That when you go to him, he has compassion over your struggle. He has compassion over your weaknesses. Why? Because he has experienced those weaknesses with you. Even when he was on earth, it says that he went through all the trials. He was tested in every respect, it says. Yet he did not sin. You know how powerful that is? You know, I think back to my college days, and, you know, if I wanted to do well in a class, I had two options before me. I can find somebody who had taken the class before and did well, or I can just find someone in the class to study with. And I found that there was one option that was always far superior to the other option. And if it was the option of finding someone who had just taken the class. Because when I found someone who had gotten through the class and had come out with an A, what they were able to provide to me was this. Hey, Justin, I've, I've taken all that professor's tests. I've done all their homework. I've come out on the other side and I've gotten an A. They've gone through everything that I was about to go through in that semester. But when I was with somebody as a peer and we're just going through the same same class together, we, we were just the blind leading the blind. We were both clueless as to what the test was going to look like. We were both clueless as to what the professor wanted. We were both clueless as to what was the true path to get an A. So if I wanted help on how to study, how to write the assignments, what to do for homework, the best person to go through is the person who had been through the trial and came out on the other side successful. So the word is saying here, Jesus went through every trial. He went through every temptation. He went through every test that we can go through. And he came out on the other side, sinless and perfect, obedient to the Father. So when you are thinking, who do I go through when I'm struggling? Who do I go to when I'm trying to get to the other side of this life, successful and obedient? Who can I go to? The preacher is saying, go to Jesus. There is no one who has been through every test, who has been through every trial, yet going through every temptation that we have gone through has come out obedient and sinless in the end. There is no other better help that you can find than someone who has gone through what you have gone through and has been successful in what you were trying to get through. And so therefore, there is no one better than Jesus to go to. To say, Jesus... I'm struggling right now. This trial, this temptation, this test, this is hard. 
Jesus said, I got you, I did this, come. Not only do I know how to get through it, but I will walk you through it together with you. Because I sympathize and I already came out sinless. So not only will I help you, imagine that helper. Now this would consider, be considered cheating in college. Imagine that person that I asked that had been through the class said, oh, don't worry, I'll come sit next to you and take the test with you. I'll, I'll come with you and do all the homework with you. I'll, I'll come with you in the midterm and the final and we'll, we'll do it together. I've already been through this, I know how to do it, but now I'm gonna help you walk through it. Right, that's cheating, that's illegal, that's not fair, but that's the grace of God. That, man, I've sinned. I don't deserve the justification. I don't deserve to be clothed in his righteousness to end up in heaven. I don't deserve the help of the Son of God. Yet we have a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses and goes through, has gone through every test and trial and is here to help in our time of need. Where better to go for help than to the one who has already passed the test? He stands to help us get through the trials of our life in full obedience to God. And it says, let us then with confidence or boldly draw near to the throne of grace. See, the human condition is to run from God in our trials, to run from God in our testing, maybe even to blame God for the things in our life that are not going right. But the preacher is letting us know we have access that the Israelites never had. They had to wait once a year and only one person can go in to the Holy of Holies. But through Jesus today, every single one of us has immediate access to the presence of God. See, the throne of grace was a symbol for the presence of God. This is the seat of God. This is the holy of holies. This is where God dwells. And we have access through Jesus whenever we need help with someone who's already been through it, someone who's succeeded in it, now offering us help to go through it in our life. Have you been going to God for help in your time of need? Ask yourself, where do I go? Where have I been running to? Have I been running to friends? Have I been running to the internet? Have I been running to substance? Have I been running to entertainment? Where have I been running to in my time of need? Don't let the enemy lie to you. Don't let him ever lie to you that God doesn't understand and that God doesn't want to help. See, the greatest thing that the enemy will try to do to you when you sin, when you mess up, when you're going through hard times is saying, God doesn't want you anymore. God doesn't love you anymore. God doesn't want you in his presence. He doesn't want you with him anymore. Run from him. That's condemnation. No conviction says, come to me. I draw you in. I have come to help. I've come to stand with you. I know your weakness. I know your failings. Come to me. 
See, God isn't not helping us because we haven't gone to him. God is not helping us because we haven't been to him. It's not that, man, God doesn't, if we're complaining, man, God doesn't love me, I don't, I don't sense him, I don't, I don't feel him, ask yourself, where have you been running to? God wants to help you. God isn't helping because you haven't gone. Are you going confidently before the throne of grace? When you are struggling with your faith, are you finding yourself in deep prayer, running to the presence of God? Are you finding yourself saying, God, I can't do this on my own? Man, I'll tell you one of the, the greatest examples of this when I was in high school. I'll never forget this. There have been times in my life that I've, I've relied on this. When I was a freshman in high school, there was a girl uh, who sat next to me in my history class. I won't forget the class. I won't forget the teacher. I won't forget the girl. This is a crazy story. Uh, the girl who was sitting next to me in my history class we didn't talk most of the semester. You know, I sat in the back and she sat in the back, and so we just had this camaraderie of neither of us wanted to sit in the front. Uh, and it was just two seats in the back, how the, the class was structured. Uh, and then we're talking one day, just doing an assignment or something, and she tells me, she starts telling me about her best friend, she starts telling me about her sex life. I'm like, okay, interesting. Uh, so she tells me her best friend moved away, and... They used to have sex together a lot, but now she has nobody to have sex with. So I thought, you know, I can volunteer for the job. <laughs> if you're looking for volunteers, I raised my hand. She told me, oh, okay, cool. Well, then we can make it a date. How about tomorrow after school? We'll just meet up in the lobby, and we'll go to my place and we'll have sex. Said, sounds good. Uh, let me check my schedule. Yeah, I'm not doing anything tomorrow. Sounds great. How about that? Let's do it. She said, okay. So tomorrow I see her in school. Everything is up to date, but we rewind. I remember that night I went home. Conviction starting to settle in. Justin, what did you just do? What are, what are you doing? And I, I still remember this moment like it was yesterday. I sat down in my bed before I went to sleep, and I said, God, I'm going to have sex with this girl. I'm letting you know right now. This is, this is like word for word my prayer. I can't handle this. I need your help. There is no way in my power that I can say no. I know myself, it's gonna happen. So I'm just coming to you and letting you know that if you make a way, do your thing. Because otherwise this is gonna happen. But I know it's wrong, so I'm, I'm asking you, help me. So the next day I go into school, she comes into class. You know, we set the time, all right, 3.30 after school in the lobby. I'll meet you there. I go to the lobby at 3.30, 3.35, 3 I'm a punctual person, if you know me. <laughs> I came five minutes early. I was like, I didn't miss her. She never showed up. I waited for a half an hour. I was pissed. I got stood up. It's like, whatever, I'll see you tomorrow. I'll see what happened. Didn't come to class tomorrow. In fact, I didn't see her for another three weeks. 
She never actually came back to class. The time I saw her three weeks later, she was walking through the hall, and I was like, hey, yo, what happened? You know, we were supposed to meet. I haven't seen you in class. What's going on? She was like, oh, crazy story. Really sorry about that. I haven't seen my dad in a really long time, and out of nowhere, he called me at the end of the day and said he was going to pick me up and wanted to take me out. Uh, So he just picked me up right after school. He took me out. And then long story short, He's going to pay for me to go to boarding school, so I just came to get my papers in order. I'm, I'm leaving. And I was like, okay. <laughs> if you ever want to get rid of somebody, you know what to do, guys. <laughs> right? I never saw her again after that. I had that 30-second interaction, I think, just so God knew, just so that I knew what God did. God was just let me know, Justin, I got you. I got you. Right? We need to stop running. It would have been really easy for me to talk to one of my friends, yo, what do you think I should do? I would have got two two pieces of advice. Enjoy sex with her, because that's what you're supposed to do at 14. Or, honestly, I don't know what other advice I would have got. I don't know why I said two (laughs) things. That would have been the only thing I would have gotten. If I would have asked any of my dudes at school, they would have said, what are you asking me for? Go do it. Right? And I think of it this way. When I had my, uh, one of my, my iPhone broke and I needed to get it fixed right away. And I was looking at the Apple store and this is before the Apple store was downtown. I was like, man, I really don't want to go to the city. And so I thought, oh, Best Buy is five minutes away on the belt. I can just jump in the car, bring it over there. So I jump in my car. I go to Best Buy. And I wait in line. I'm like, I had some geniuses here. Let me talk to them. I give them my phone. And they say, yes, we can fix your phone, but uh, you may not get your phone back. You may get a new phone. It's going to take five to ten business days. And I was like, what in the world? Five to ten business days without a phone? Are you crazy? What, what era are you living in? There's no way I can live that long with a phone. I remember I didn't have my laptop for a week, and I almost died. And so I'm not giving you my phone. And I may not even get my phone back. They were saying my phone could be wiped. They may need to give me a new one. They didn't know how to fix it. And I was like, this is crazy. So I left Best Buy. I got on the train and I went to Apple in the city. And when I gave my phone to Apple, they said, you know what? Yeah, don't worry. Just sit here for an hour. We'll fix it for you and we'll get it right back to you. And so I find so many times in life that we keep running to the Best Buys of the world. Sorry, Best Buy, for listening to this. If you work at Best Buy, I love you. But Apple created the phone. They knew exactly what my phone needed to be fixed. Best Buy had to send it away to their other department to have some other people look it out, probably some Apple dudes, some ex-Apple dudes looking at it, fixing it up and then sending it back. But these guys knew this is the creator. They knew what to do. They knew how to help my phone. And so often we go to every single other place that says we may be able to fix it. We don't know if we're going to be able to fix it, but check back in five to ten business days. Maybe it's going to be fixed. But you're going to have a whole new problem, whole new phone, whole new issue on your hands. When God is saying, I am your creator, I know you, I've came exactly just to do this. Come to me in your time of help. 
Stop going to this place or to that person or to this thing. Come boldly before the throne of grace to the presence of God. When you wonder, how will I ever make it into heaven when I keep on dealing with this thing and that? When you think, man, the weight of my sin, the weight of my trouble, the weight of my trials are too much for me to bear. I cannot hold fast. I can't hold firm. It's too much and too hard. Know that you have an active helper who you can confidently approach. Approach him today. Go to him. Not meekly, but boldly go to him, knowing what he has done for you in order to get you there. That it was perfect. There's no need to add to it. That it was costly. It cost so much that nothing could ever be paid to that balance again. It was completely wiped out for all debt, for all eternity. Know that everything that you needed to get into the presence of God has been paid for, has been covered, and you have access because of it. So don't go meekly, don't go sad, don't go depressed. Go with joy, rejoicing in the things that Jesus has done, that you can confidently come and say, God, I need you today. God, I need you more than I did yesterday. I don't know how I'm going to get through it tomorrow. I don't know how I'm going to do it in my job. I don't know how I can do it in my family, as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a friend, as a coworker, whatever it is. God, I need you. And I come before you right now boldly, confidently, knowing that you are my helper in a time of need, that it says that we will receive mercy, meaning what we deserve we will not get, and that we will then have grace to go and accomplish the things that God has called us to accomplish, that he is our help in a time of need. He doesn't just say eternity is great, good luck getting there. He says eternity is great and everything that you need, everything that you need to get there, I have accomplished for you and I will help you with. Go nowhere else. Go nowhere else but me because Jesus is greater. Thank you, Jesus, that we are not just told to obey, but we are given every tool we need to obey. We have a compassionate Savior who understands our struggles, that when we come to him, we don't come to him in condemnation, but he gives us mercy, saying, yeah, you deserve hell. You deserve my judgment. You deserve not to receive what I offer today, but you are granted mercy. We have a road to that help, which is prayer in the presence of God, to boldly come to Say, Jesus, I need you. He says, this is the access. This is the road. This is, this is where you need to go to find my help. Have you prayed? I can tell you I felt dumb that night praying when I knew it was going to happen tomorrow because I did not expect God to do anything. But I knew that scripture called me to pray in a time like that. And so I sat down and I obediently prayed. And God answered and he gives meaningful gifts, mercy and grace. The only two things that we need in order to hold fast to our confession of faith. Yes, 
His judgment is great, but his help is greater. Turn to him today for everything that you need. Begin the spiritual discipline and the practice of saying, before I go anywhere else, I will turn to Jesus. Before I complain to my spouse, I will turn to Jesus. Before I text my friend, I will turn to Jesus. Before I scream and argue, I will turn to Jesus. Before I check my bank account, I will turn to Jesus. Before I give in to condemnation, I will turn to Jesus. Make it a spiritual discipline and a habit to pray, to turn to him and say, God, I need your help. Your scripture says, at this point, I receive mercy and grace. That you will be here with me. That you are my great high priest who atones for my sins. Perfectly obedient and sinless. Help me, Father. Can we stand up and pray?